Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buckle up for an unfiltered dose of comedy. Full disclosure, I've had a lot of sex, but honestly, having sex with me is like buying a Prius. It's much quieter than you'd expect. Epics presents Unprotected Sets. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In Lauren Lake's courtroom, there is no nonsense. Don't talk when I'm talking. Just results. Mr. Jackson, you are the father. <laughs> Live it, own it, be it. You see it? Listen to Lauren Lake's Paternity Court on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts this is Lips LA. Hey guys, it's Scott Lips and welcome to the show, Lip Service. I am your host. Today is Tuesday, December 17th. And actually, truth be told, the last show I announced was the last show of the season. This is the official last show of the season. Very excited today. Joining us today are the Cold War Kids, an American indie rock band from Long Beach, California. We have Nathan and Moss joining us today. Nathan Willis is the vocalist, pianist, and guitarist. And Matt Moss is the bassist, two founding members. Um, I believe the Cold War Kids' name comes from uh, Matt's travels through Eastern Europe. The band was formed in 2004 in Fullerton, California. We're going to hear their whole story, how they started, and uh, so many great things about the band. They had a, a huge hit a few years ago in first that you guys, I'm sure, would have heard of. So coming up in just a moment, Cold War Kids, we are coming to semi-live today from the WeWork Studios here in West Hollywood. And the show is brought to you today by Thursday's Boots, my favorite boots, which we shall get into at the end of the show. So in coming up in just a moment, we have Nathan and Matt from the Cold War Kids. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, welcome to the show. How's Hello. it going? Pretty good, fabulous. Good, good, we got good, Nathan, good. we got Moss, Cold War Kids. I gave you guys a great intro before you got here. So oh, good, good. I did good. a lot of the homework, you know. We don't heavy have to lifting. blush now when well, we're being here. The heavy lifting was already done. Uh, you guys have a new album out, which is awesome. It's sort of a trilogy, right? Which is yeah. great. So I want to get into that. I want to get into the history of the band, how it started, your whole trajectory, which is awesome. So you guys actually met in college, and you're, you're both from L.A., right? Or sort of Ontario, Whittier, that whole yep. Orange County area. Tell me how you guys met, how the band started, how you came up with the name. I read the, the story about how you're walking around Europe, yeah. you came up with the name. I think one of the first times me and Nate ever really talked to each other, I said, I want to play in the band, it sounds like Blur 13 kind of music. 
we were at the cafeteria. Cool. Uh, we were still students, probably. You met in high school or college? No, college. College, college yeah. okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, which was, I guess... It was right. Reli- it, what, that record wasn't new at the time. No, it wasn't it new. It was we, sort of we, like... We really bonded on that record. How, great record. How it was like every song was very different from... You know, it was like an eclectic thing, and we're like... What kind of music is this? I don't know. It's, so you were more yeah. a Blur fan than an Oasis fan. There was always uh, that, that debate no. going on for years. No, I love them both. Okay, I love Oasis. Yeah, uh, I Oasis love... really holds up. I gotta say, those yeah. records still so yeah. great. Th- those are uh, we've all agreed our band. We can we can love both those bands. Yeah, you can. Yeah, there was a, a debate for years. You could only really you had to pick sides, right? But obviously, I was always a huge Oasis fan. But so anyway, you bonded over Blur and many other bands. I think so. Influences growing up, it was like. XTC with the Smiths. What else did you guys listen a lot to? Of, yeah, a lot of Smiths. We listened to a lot of REM, U2, Velvet Underground. But then All we got, that. But then when Tom Waits, we got into Tom Waits and Dylan, everything. Like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think we still listen to all the same things, just like, whereas, like, you know, we would listen to the first six Dylan records at the start of our band. Now we listen to the newest six Dylan records. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. yeah. Um, Not the latest six Dylan records. Yeah. We had a very strange though, like uh, we met in college. We went to this school called Biola. And oh, yeah. it's a strange, it's basically like an extremely conservative Christian college wow. in between LA and Orange County kind of thing, which is very odd for us to like, uh, basically it's like the, uh, in going there to already a very small school, we had a very small crew of friends that I think were all kind of like scratching their heads going like, what are we doing here? And also like had a same like kind of taste in music and life uh, perspective, which it, it's strange because when I went there, I transferred there. I was like 21 and and uh, and thought like, man, I, I don't know what I'm doing going here, but there's going to be, I, I'm not going to find any friends here. And then yeah. the friends that I have there are like literally, you know, whatever, t- 20 years later, yeah. and all the same, all of my friends are from that time, that like yeah. couple years. And we have a couple friends that didn't know us at the time, and they all say like, you guys, I've never met a bunch of, a crew of people that stays friends like this from college, like that, and I think it's, we bonded on what we Hated about our school. Were there a lot of musicians <laughs> in Fullerton at that time? <laughs> Seems like not a hot yeah, music. I mean, we weren't. We never. We never totally had our like. Uh, we had our tribe of friends that w- was into all the same art and music and movies and everything. But we, but not other bands necessarily until we started touring. So, yeah. yeah. And had you played music prior to meeting? Like, were you in bands first? And then no, a, uh, this was your yeah. first band you ever formed. Just, I mean, I feel we, like we, we had both done little things. We yeah. messed around, but nothing, nothing just for I me. Mean, nothing that was like serious. Yeah, we we had we had one friend. I, I think John Wilkes Kissing Booth was this band that mm. we all we kind of bought it up. We're we're still friends with those guys. Cool. Some, some of them. They were a band that. Kind of like was playing a lot locally and a little bit of touring, and then they kind of fell apart. But that was one band where I was like, I want to be in a, in a band kind of like that. Yeah, meets yeah. Blur. That's fun. Yeah. I never, I there, I, I completely forget about probably how important those, that was at that time. Yeah, they were a cool band. Too. Yeah. yeah. So you start writing music. You guys are obviously into the same kind of stuff. And how quickly did you guys start playing out and recording after you met? Really quick. I I think my my clock says that. I think you started writing music a little bit before, but I think we started writing music in June, July of 2004. And by I think by December, 
Oh, 2004, we had played, I think, two or three shows. And then you signed to Monarchy Records. It was that quick, or was there more more um, to the story than that, really? That's so funny. Because <laughs> <I, I, laughs> Mon- yeah, Monarchy Records is like this guy that was like 10 years younger th- with us that had a credit card. So we're like, sure. Yeah, his, it was just a, was, guy, a guy with a credit card. Yeah, right. but, yeah a hell of a nice guy. He's, yeah. he's a huge guy, Scott. I liked him a lot. Um, but yeah, uh, we, yeah, I mean, I think 2005... We put our first EP out, Mulberry Street, and then that same year put out two more EPs, kind of foreshadowing what we're doing now with three volume. Yeah, uh, the, the, the record set. that just came out. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of come full circle. And at some point, you meet Josh Deutsch, I imagine, in your travels and signed to Downtown Records, right? Yeah, so, how did yeah, that all yeah. come about? Because obviously, that was sort of a big stepping stone from the guy with the credit we card. We got taken out to dinners by so oh many God. people. I mean, Josh Deutsch <laughs> was not one of the first. He, I, he was. It's all a blur. Someday but. when we write the Kohler Kids book, I mean, I, I think the the idea of basically like being courted by labels and and um, and like sort of uh, saying yes to all of all of that, yeah, is a very. I mean, this was 2014. 2005. I'm gonna yeah over ten years. Wrong. Um, yeah, I. It, it was. It, we were in this little bubble where where um, we were being treated like we were going to be the biggest deal in the world, and people were taking us to very nice dinners. And um, but we were living four of us in a, and practicing in a room this big, like, which is like not the the rarest thing, but yeah. just in that time when uh, like everything that. I think mattered in musically that was happening sort of like Brooklyn indie like I don't know like uh, TV on the radio dirty projectors like that type of like yeah, indie yeah, yeah. label indie yeah. band and and the idea that um it just seemed very 90s or almost like very like you guys are going to make a zillion dollars and so we're we're going to treat you like you know like and we were still um yeah. I don't think we believed any of that. We just wanted to write songs and play shows for like you know 200 capacity. That was like headlining the Troubadour was like a dream come true at that time. By the way, you had that indie scene, but then you had the really the Smash Mouth Limp Biscuit scene that we don't really want to talk about. Well, <laughs> that, that was, was kind of done though. That, right, that was, was kind of done. Um, I'm trying to think of like I mean like what you know Coldplay and yeah. like you know there's still a lot of huge. Records, but not I don't know, like alternative. What was happening we, at we that saw, time? We saw. I mean, we we all white stripes and strokes, but and we, all that yeah. stuff was just hitting, and so yeah. we thought of ourselves very much like in that. We liked the Walkman a lot. We, we thought the Walkman were like we thought the coolest band. The Walkman was and, way bigger than we ever thought <laughs> right, we yeah. would be, and uh, and I actually remember <laughs> right. I was thinking about this the other day. I remember being at a, uh, at Mulberry Street apartment, and our manager Brett. Uh, who went to school with us and is our, our our buddy, but he had interned for Interscope, I think, and I was still a little like uh, pessimistic about whether or not he he wanted to manage us, and it was kind of like a well, we're just starting, and we're we don't want to like think that way yet. We're just putting our thing together, and I rem- I remember us talking about the Walkman, and uh, and he said. Something like, oh, yeah, the Walkman, you know, they only sold 10,000 records of their first record <laughs> right. or something like that. Right. And I remember saying, I remember the, the like, intense feeling of 
anger that I had, <laughs> not at the idea of talking about a, a band in terms of their sales as though that was, you know, an indication of their worth or something. I just remember being like, no, dude, that's not the point. That's not what it's about. That's not how you measure the da da da. Um, but it's of course now like, you know, we we were we were very uh we were a little pretentious, I guess, and a little like um yeah, we didn't know about the big world. It's funny because I'm from New York, and the Walkman obviously is still revered as one of the best bands. I've, I had a oh, young band yeah. in here the other day, Lily, and they're like, one of the kids' uncles is in the Walkman. And he's Whoa. like, they're the greatest <laughs> band ever. And I'm like, it's the That's second insane. time the Walkman are coming up in, That's so funny. in the span of like a month or two. And so they were seen as like, you know, the epitome of cool, obviously yeah. the Strokes, the AAS. All that. But, um, but I always thought of you guys as a New York band for some reason. I, the vibe of the band was very New York. It had that sort of, I never thought of you guys as an L.A. band. I think that's, that's, that means we, we, were, going, think we were going by design. Yeah. Yeah. I don't we, think we were going for that, but we always wanted to be more like a, a U.K. looking or Because there East wasn't Coast anything guy. in L.A. Again, like we were saying before, like we didn't have peers that we looked at were like, or, or a generation that was at, before us that was like, it, it was like we grew up on the sublimes and no doubts and then the like punk shows and hardcore shows and then the ska and all the things that were embarrassing. But then, yeah, once sort of like it, it, I, I I had a trip where I went to the when Amoeba San Francisco was the only Amoeba and it was and I bought White Stripes Distill and Yeah Yeahs and, and Walkman's first records and being like this is like it felt like the most incredible discovery of like new albums Definitely. that had come out that was, that was like Epic. I still love going to Amoeba. I live right by Amoeba, and I still yeah. go there. I saw something the other day where you guys were there. Maybe it was an old video, but yeah. just so cool going there and getting all the stuff. You're into old T-shirts. I went yesterday right? to Amoeba. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, bought a, I bought a DVD. Oh, yeah, album. amazing. Yeah. And you have a CD player from what I heard, right? Or do you still have the CD player in your car? Uh, I, do. I don't anymore, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you did. did Moss right? just made yeah. like <laughs> some kind of like, I don't know, how many did you Mixed make? tape or something. 30, 30, yeah. I made 33 of our new complainer remixes, uh, like all handmade artwork and yeah. Amazing. I listened to Spaceman 3 on the way over here on my CD player. Amazing. Well, yeah. I, I want to talk about all that. But in 2006, you guys put out the debut album. And so how has the writing process changed over the years? Because you've been in a band now for a bit, 15 years, I think. And yeah. there's been something like, I don't know, I read somewhere, it's like 11 EPs, nine albums, 20 singles, right? The process of writing for you has probably changed a lot. I know your new record, you've been working with the producer, that uh, Laura's that you've been working with the last four records now, right? Yeah. So talk about the process of writing now. I, I Actually, I know that you, you kind of camp out at your house a little bit, right, in Silver Lake and, and did a lot of the, the writing. There was some art that was inspiring to you and whatnot. This is a trilogy. Yeah. So how does the whole thing come about? And talk to me about how it's different now to how it was back in the day when you first started with your debut album. Oh, huge question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, I think this, uh, so, okay, so this trilogy, the idea kind of was um, to take the different ways, approaches to writing and recording that we've used and, and, and kind of like uh, keep them in these separate compartments of these short records. Excuse me. Um, so the first one was kind of, so uh, it, the the sort of like what I think of as like, uh all band um, together. In a room, just hammering out. it out. Right, yeah. right, right. Finding stuff that way. Um, we've, that was definitely, you know, how we started and how how we um, did everything. So for Robbers and Cowards, it was like, that. you guys were in a room, you were writing the songs, it was like, 
just sort of a live feel. Yeah. As to now, you use there's like Electric Guest, uh, a couple of the guys yeah. are on this album, and there's a sort of a different process in how you're doing things now, right? Yeah. Um, and then the second of New Age Norms 2, we did with the producer Sean Everett, and that was a much more like kind of the old school approach of all of us together and um and sort of just like uh yeah freewheeling like running with whatever works and like letting letting uh every idea like kind of take shape and and uh yeah so so those two ways of working like i mean i guess it's it's weird because uh you know i think there's so many ways to approach record making and and um and i think at a certain point i mean like even robbers and cowards there's a song sermons versus the gospel that i like i took a, my little laptop and just did like a live garage band thing in this garage that we were living in at the time and just did like a you know one take uh recording of that and then that ended up that on the record and um and then we've sort of I don't know. I, I I don't really understand it. I guess <laughs> right. I, I think there's there's, there's sort no of, rhyme or reason. It yeah, just sort of, there's yeah. there's but there is. It's just I don't know how to explain it. It's yeah. just kind of what feels right. And um, and I think uh, you know the the I guess the tough thing for uh, as the band evolves and and I have the role of kind of like um trying to do you know embrace uh everyone's talents and, and 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 you know work work everything in and then also have those moments where I, the songs that just like sort of I want to have a more you know my vision and and to try to kind of like just do all of that like say yes to everything yeah. is is kind of like my goal and um and to do that also, like, I just want to put music out all the time. Like, I don't want to just have a record that, you know, you spend a year and a half touring and then a, you know, and then a year home and then a year making the next one. And, like, seeing bands do that um, and how much, like, that I think actually stifles creativity yeah. and, and also is, like, you have everything about your band is riding on on that that record in that moment. And, you know, back to the start for us when we... Like, you know, creativity is such a fickle thing that to, to like, so much of what makes it work is is how you set yourself up, you know? And no so, so we've set ourselves up in situations, you know, recording that, um, that just didn't, no lightning was striking, you yeah. know? <laughs> and, like, yeah. in every way, like... Are there certain records for you that don't resonate anymore when yeah, you listen back on them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, it, it's so funny. I, I mean, the third record we did, Mine Is Yours, we did with Jakir King, we did in Nashville, and, and it was the the most expensive, the longest process. The um, We were, you know, living in a house together. We were, like, it was the most sort of maybe like traditional approach to um or maybe old school i don't know like the most kind of all in and expensive and and all you know and it i'm very proud of it in a, in one sense but i it, it was the most taxing mm. you know for um just i i think on a, 
relationships on the the creative approach the like what it takes out of you and um it's still i, I just uh i realize i never want to do it that way again you're I also ne- spending all this money and so right. you have all this pressure to yeah. come up with the best songs ever and sometimes it doesn't happen it's like just, that right right because you got your whole life to write your first album and then you know six yeah. months to write your second one right? i mean so. it's nothing original all yeah. the cliches are true yeah you you, you get to that point um and in theory, it's just like, no, we could do this. But you just, there's a wall that you can't break through. You can't hit that stride where it feels really natural and fun. And there's a hundred reasons. Um, we've been touring for many years. And and then there's also the flip side of that. I like to try to, like, get out of our own way because I know there's so many people that actually love that record specifically discovered our band during that time where I felt the most unsure of what we were doing. And so that's a strange thing because, because to know that in some ways, everything you do that even if it is really hard, you go through the process and you release it to the world and maybe I'm not going to go back and listen to that record. Yeah. You know, I, maybe I will in five years and feel totally different about it. But the fact that that speaks to people also makes me know, like, um, just keep going. Just keep doing what we're doing. And, and even if there are, like, you know, there's always going to be those awkward phases and those those ones where I can't, I don't like my feeling about the thing and the thing itself are are very different. And like, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I could go forever on that, but, (laughs) but it's, um, it, so why, why we work the way we do? I don't know. It, it, it really is a feeling. It's a, like a feeling that sometimes you, you know, stretch into an uncomfortable place. That record was that. Um, but then, um, you know, also, allowing for discomfort like i think um it on the flip side like uh the way that uh we made la divine was was a much more like kind of lars and i in the studio writing and um and that was like i think i really needed that to do to work that way and to To have a different perspective right yeah um have a little bit like sort of less full band chaos and waiting for that spark and more like you know um focused and and simple and uh and that was very good but at the same time like you don't stay in that place you know we go back and forth between needing whereas i think now ideally i'd like to be in a place moving forward even after this three volume new age norms is like just writing in in different ways with uh, the band with the five of us all adding you know different different having a a space where it's not just like sort of all five of us or or me and a producer but like you know different contributions coming in and out finding new ways to work finding new people to bring in like that's kind of that that collaborative like juice is is definitely the thing that because this is your fourth album working with Lars right so obviously it's working pretty well but then you work with another producer for the second of the trilogy and the third one yeah. too, or no? Uh, yeah. Um, so the second one, Sean Everett, uh, he did like Alabama Shakes record, Sound and Color. To me, is like it was just that's probably my favorite yeah. of the last ten yeah. years. Um, and uh, and then he just did the newer Britney Howard record, and Great he's record. just a special guy. Like uh, I mean, he's done so much stuff, but I, he's definitely like an artist producer, the kind of person that you get with that uh, just wants. Like he's kind of a little bit almost invisible. He wants us to 
like, there's so many. This is again the great thing about doing this for so many years that you'd think like a producer is one thing, but yeah. it's really the whole. Like it, it's really everything. What they the bring to the table. Whole range of yeah, like no question. There are people that you work with that are the opposite of other people. You work, you know, there yeah. are people that uh, are great engineers and and don't have great. It's just that it's also just vibe is is the. Uh, is the million dollar thing that you cannot manufacture Definitely. and and like i think some of the my favorite music we've ever made is going to be on this second volume that we made with Sean and i think a lot there's just a infinite factors as to why when the five of us all walk in there to record for a few weeks that the the mood and the vibe and the energy that we all have is so good and some of it's because we just haven't done it for a long time in that approach um so this second record will come out uh, next think, part early next yeah, year yeah 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 and then the third one will come out at the end of next year more exactly, or less yeah. cool that's great and take me back to the first record for a moment because okay. there's some songs yeah. in there that Sorry, i'm I obsessed digress. with it's all right um hang me out to dry hospital beds i know that you love the lyrics to be sort of open to interpretation but i'd love to know your sort of lyrical inspiration for writing some of those songs and then i want to jump to those songs and play those songs in a moment um but uh just talk to me about if you could a couple of those songs and, and sort of where if there's any stories behind those songs how you came to write them such great songs yeah uh i mean we were lo- we were living in this house in Whittier at the time. We were all kind of like um, you and Matt, yeah, and our manager Brett and a- another friend of ours. But it-, it was like a little kind of a party house, and we had our re- like rehearsal space below us, and it was just a like a clubhouse, a good like. Did you have money then, or were you oh, guys no, kind of no, no, okay? No, no. So, so flapper- were you working regular day jobs? Or- I was substitute teaching. Uh, we, I had a lot of other odd jobs. Moss was working for like a. I was working on a clothing line, like doing graphics for a clothing line. Cool. And um, I was going to say something. Oh, the room that he talks about that we rehearsed in, we just someone just posted our our, our first video we ever did. Uh, hair. Oh down, yeah. Hair down video is in that room. Oh man. And that's the only thing I think that really exists of that room on video so that's that's a fun, yeah. that's a fun nugget well i like you matt love vintage t-shirts of interest con- so you, was that where your love of t-shirts came from working I, uh i've liked t-shirts since i was a little kid but and i've always collected them but then i i designed t-shirts for this clothing line for a couple of years and that was the, the job that i had one foot in doing that and then one foot in the band and then oh yeah. and you were teaching so yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. at night you're writing songs. Yeah. Um, there's some of those, though, that I remember actually being in, like, you know, substitute teaching. Could It's kind of whatever. You, if you're ambitious, you can do something with it. But if you're like me at that time, you just are like <laughs> right. sit there and get, you know, don't do anything other yeah. than like read a book. And, and I got a lot of writing done during that time. But um, So what was the inspiration lyrically to those songs specifically? Because those songs are just, they resonate, they still hold up so well today. Yeah, I mean, it is. I went back and listened to some of your catalog and such amazing songs. So, But I know you'd like it to be sort of open to interpretation, but is there a story behind where those songs come from? Yeah, I mean, not one story, and each song is its own thing. Yeah. Um, We Used to Vacation is the song that is the first song on the record and that we probably basically play every night that we play for the most part um and uh i mean that one in ways it's funny because like songwriting you can 
gravitate towards something very fictional and then realize way later that it is very personal, mm-hmm. you know, and like um, that song is like the story of like an alcoholic in this way. I actually read somebody say something about it and how it's the sound, like the, the lyrics and the sound of the music are the same. It's like an alcoholic, like driving around town and doing all these errands and, and being like, like falling this way and that way. And it, and it almost falls over and then it picks up and falls the other way. And I was like, God, that is, you know, so right. That's what it, what it yeah. feels like. And so, um, but it, it, uh, it, my, my dad, my grandpa, my dad's dad was an alcoholic and, uh, and hearing him tell like very little, but stories about him and, and uh, and then kind of putting it in like a downtown LA scene, um, was, uh, definitely some of, I think what led me there. And then, um, I was reading a lot of David Foster Wallace at that time in his book, Infinite Jest. There's so much about addiction and, you know, um, that, uh, that definitely made its way, I think, in a lot of the record. Um, and, uh, hospital beds. Hospital beds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a Hemingway book that I was reading that is, uh, shit, what's it called? That is one of the big ones that, uh, hospital beds and like, just kind of like, uh, the idea of two people sitting in a hospital bed and talking and, you know, kind of having nothing to lose, nothing to gain, um, and just connecting and over stuff that is, I mean, you know, we were always, I think we were always walking this line between like having all these like kind of post-punky influences and then a lot of influences that we joke even now are like, uh, this is the time where like Mumford and Sons, Lumineers, all these bands like kind of suspender pork pie hat types of bands that were very old-timey Americana. Yeah. I think we had some, a lot of those things in the songs that we were treading lightly on. We didn't want to be too old timey but there's a lot of old timey things no in question. those songs yeah, so, yeah. so well, there's um, piano there's a lot of orchestration right yeah well, different like, saloony yeah. and it's like we liked music from big pink on the band and basement tapes on that thing but we didn't want to look like we, it. yeah right. like looking like it just seems like you're wearing a costume yeah right yeah. And, and you got to go to nuts berry farm <laughs> right pan for gold and stuff yeah. and we, we didn't want to have that vibe. yeah you don't want to pan for gold we didn't want to <laughs> pan for gold we like we like to poke fun at heritage uh things yeah it's it's a it's a slippery slope to steampunk. It is. I, I like it to is. Think. <laughs> yeah. And then at the same time, when you're on tour and you walk by a restaurant that has those nice little heritage bulbs and a nice, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're always like, yeah, that's yeah, the one. Edison, that's going to be the good nice. restaurant. Yeah, yeah, bulbs are nice, but it's a slippery slope. <laughs> it is. So yeah, let's jump to a hospital beds. One of my favorite tracks. <laughs> and we'll be right back in one second with the co-war kids. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. We are back with Matt and Nathan. We just listened to Hospital Beds. One of my favorite tracks for you guys. I want to talk a little bit about your side project, French Style Furs. So um, when did that come about? Have you guys put out a bunch of music um, for it? That came about, uh, I think, late 2013, early 2014-ish, maybe. Um, we were in New York a lot. In our, we, we we were close friends with this band, We Barbarians. Cool. I don't know if you heard of that band. I heard of them, yeah. Dave Kwan, our guitar player now, used to be the singer of that band. Um, but we were in New York a lot, um, and the drummer of that band, our good friend Nathan, Nate Warkentine, that's helped with a lot of artwork for our band, too, over the years. We, rather than just go drink at the bar on our nights off, we went to their studio in Brooklyn and started writing a bunch of just instrumental tracks. 
I think we did like four, three or four, like in one night, and we realized me and him were like, we need, we need someone that can actually sing on this, and he was, he was down at the bar with his brother, so he came, and I think you did vocals for four songs that night or three, mm. something like that. You're like, wait a minute, I know a singer. It was, it was a very yeah. like, <laughs> it was a very like improvisation record. We just kind of started throwing paint on the wall, and then, um, but you didn't have any lyrics. Right, and but, but you were obsessed with this Thomas Merton poetry book, and yeah. I think one of us were like Nate or me, or so just just start singing that stuff. Yeah, and it worked. Yeah, and then we had to get cleared with the Thomas Merton people. Yeah, and they cleared it. And so is that a band that you're actively putting music out like a lot? And because you have to Fresh squeeze it. In. Yeah, you got to squeeze it in between all the year. You have three albums coming out with with your own band too, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff going on with you guys. I know you like to stay busy. Yeah, we have, um, we have, we have stuff that we've worked on, but we haven't put anything out okay. since, since that first record. So that's it. So will yeah. there be another record coming out with? Maybe. I think so. You know, it it, it really maybe maybe it really uh, was a time where. Like, I think the touring so much for so much for, I don't know, we may have maybe been touring for five years at that point or something, but it's very, you know, you, you're sort of on the hamster wheel of touring the record. and um, We needed to do something that was just like for no reason at all other than to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and that really, in a lot of ways, fueled the second. I mean, it, it, we did that almost right in the middle of Cold War Kid's career. Yeah. If you, if you if you look at the dates, and I think in a lot of ways it like expanded our minds on how to songwrite and mm. come in and do yeah. things with different people at different times and just be less precious about things, be more precious about things, and kind of just rethink what we're doing, but in a fun way. Because sometimes it, it, you it can kind of yeah. overthink it, right? Like the happy oh, accident, yeah. like first is, was kind of like yeah. a happy accident. It was supposed to be a B-side. It wasn't supposed to be on the record. Before you know it, it's the biggest song of your career, right? Yeah. Because yeah. it, it's yeah. kind of a great story. You put that song on the record after the record was complete, right? Yes. Yeah. And never you know, intending that to be obviously your biggest song ever, right? right. And also I read somewhere that that record actually holds it's like a, a record. It's like the second uh, most played a song on alternative radio or something we, like that. It's the first most played. Yeah, we, yeah. we should, <laughs> now it's the first. Before just I heard found it. out the, this the statistic that it's the of the last ten years the most played song on alternative radio, which is pretty incredible. It's crazy. Congrats. It's mean, amazing. Thank you. And it was, <laughs> yeah. but it was a happy accident, totally. right? Yeah, the way it yeah. came about. So talk to me about that for a minute because yeah, record, the record was done. It right? was done. We had a, a demo of it, and it was very much we already. Had two singles out for that record. Uh, one, we had one or, single. I mean, yeah, I this thought, it's yeah. it's very. This is very much the style of how of things have gone for us. Where <laughs> like, I always think of it like the opposite of this sort of loose style is like I always think of it like how like OK Computer. I feel like that's a record that took like years to make and is a masterpiece in it, and and you can't like. You can, it's so realized and focused and perfect, and you you got to tour it for two years and then go a totally different direction. Like that's the opposite of Cold War Kids. Like you know, our <laughs> our way has always been like uh, th- there's there's a thing that we are doing that is not always clear to me, and like, and we have to chase it. You know, we have to find it, and like so. But back to the French style furs, and then I'll connect it to first is like that experience was so important because i think um it 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 felt it's like look 
you know, Moss and I have been touring this band for years. I, I think there's almost like a, it's that suspending your disbelief thing by being like, like, hey, let's go do these jams. And then like, I don't know, maybe Willett will sing. It's almost like you're you have to forget that you are sort of this professional musician yeah. and that you are doing this one singular yeah. thing for the, so long. The way I viewed it was I really viewed it like I was like cheating on my band. Right. Like, yeah, I, I, like, exactly. Because I didn't yeah. tell him about I didn't tell anyone. I knew that I love making music with my friend Nate, the different Nate. And we're like, we have to go go just have a bunch of drinks and just yeah. sc- scream at the wall. Right. And it's you have really, to go really back. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, it, and what you guys did was so, so great. And I stepped into it. And it's a funny thing, you know, again, like our friends and we barbarians, we started, you know, uh, playing music at the same time. I, you know, I kind of have to take back what I was saying earlier about not having, you know, other bands that we came up with our, our friends are in this band the color and and they were sort of more like 70s rocky throwback and we we're always like we we always sort of had a love-hate relationship with their like style and their thing but we we're always very competitive yeah. and in a lot of ways very inspired by like being competitive with them yeah. and, and it is and so now dave kwan was a guitar player in that band he's now in our band like and uh nathan Workatine was the drummer in that band and he in in for the there's almost like you know there's and this is something that we don't even, you know, we don't even necessarily sit around and talk about ever, but like the, the loyalty that happens in bands and, uh, and that sense that like, you know, our team, like we are the best. Yeah. We know everything. We are like, uh, um, well, you're a family in a sense. We're a right? family. It's, exactly. It's, yeah, it's, we're, we're like, we're brothers. We, yeah. we've given our whole life to this thing. Um, and then w- years of touring and then sort of being like, well, you know, you could do anything. You you know, we're, we're, we're in it. It's both. Except you're, cheat you're, on, you're don't deeply, cheat on the band, though. Don't cheat on the band. <laughs> but what does cheating on the band mean? Right. You right. know, and that is that is a good sort of like it's the only analogy, because um, there were a lot of few people that felt cheated on at the time <laughs> that we did French style first. And that was very much it. it in that strange way that almost like, and again, like I, I don't know if this analogy works, but like in the way that almost like in a marriage, people are like, well, you, you know, get out there and have a good time and see what happens. Sometimes it might spice up the marriage. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it feels a little bit like that because at the time that we did that and, and we barbarians is happening, they, that caused a, basically in some ways for them to break up because they were trying to make it and they were figuring out how. And, and we, um, looking at it from the perspective of like, this is fun. We have sort of the money to just do it ourselves. And, and we have cold war kids, which is our thing. Why, why can't we do this thing that is very strange in its explanation of like, this side project that is using the lyrics of this basically like mystic monk poet guy. (laughs) Nobody knows who he is. Nobody, I don't think the project like sort of connected in a larger, you know, sense, but it was essential for us to move forward. As artists. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a first for us. I think, I think, you know, cause that, that was the, the vibe and the feeling at the start of Cold War Kids. And then, uh, French style furs and the the just the kind of I the looseness of um very much knowing what we wanted to do musically with it, but sort of like uh 
taking our hands off of what it could become or what what it even was um it was so important because it wasn't paying our bills it wasn't the thing that was you know going to feed us and uh and 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 it was it was a really fun time we cha- yeah. we we did it for a while we had it we had um we had a bunch of different people contribute to it. Um, our friends from Elvis Perkins and Deerlands, the guys that played horns, and and we and we we played a bunch of shows in New York and L.A. and it was really fun and it was an enormous amount of work for for kind of almost no, you know, uh, financial reward, but it was so fun. You and played it, a few shows too. Yeah, yeah, we played a bunch of L.A. and I New York shows. 10, I think nine or ten shows. So is that yeah. weird when you go from playing a big show with your own band to playing a much smaller show for? Whatever it may totally, be, right? Totally, yeah. totally weird, but it was really, it was like fuel. Cathartic, it, it was like you'd have to go back to the, I'm, I'm a visual artist, and if I don't approach almost anything I do like I did when I was a kid, it doesn't, it's not fun. Right, right, and it so has like, to be fun. It's kind of similar to that. It's like yeah. we, had to, we have to like, we were playing bigger shows as Cold War kids, but it's something really raw and fun playing with nine, ten people on stage with horns right, and right. like, you know. Yeah, it was. You had you had to do it. And you talk about your camaraderie with We Are Barbarians and some of these other bands. Do you feel like there is sort of a, a friendship between a lot of bands now, and there is a music scene where bands sort of? When I was growing up in bands, there was definitely a scene where all the bands were competitive in a sense, but we're also kind of like helping each other and whatnot. And then I feel like you know, fast forward to twenty twenty, there's not as much of a music scene as there was like in the early nineties, late eighties in L.A. So do you feel like there's a scene amongst you and your peers where you guys really help each other and you you feel this? kinship with a lot of the bands you guys are friends with it sounds like it um yeah i mean there's some it's hard because we're just gone yeah. so and much and i think like, i think the scene exists online now yeah. I right I, I think that and i don't i don't go online very much so i probably don't i'm not aware of that but yeah but i'm sure it exists that's for sure <laughs> talk yeah. me about some career highlights coachella obviously Lollapalooza. certain shows that stick out in your mind for like some of the highlights that you're like man this is like Gonna live with me forever, and you know my I favorite think, show we played. Yeah, I think for me, the for, we played the first time we played Glastonbury was amazing, like, yeah. unreal. Like I think it was like was it raining? Was it muddy? It was mu- it was really muddy. muddy. It was okay. it was either a second to main stage or main stage. It was like three in the afternoon or something, and I had mm. never seen that many people before in my life. Amazing. So that was that's one for me. Yeah, uh, um, <laughs> would that be the same for you? Or Coachella, yeah, probably. I mean, I th- that was truly like you know I, again like. I, I feel like uh, 15 years into this, and I, and and like you know, I don't know, being, being, I I think this time, this sort of era of right now, Cold War Kids, the first time I probably have actually understand what it means to like be more present in it, mm. and 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 like rather than like looking to the next thing, looking to the next thing, and, and going like, oh my god, it's getting bigger, and and let's look to the next thing, and so moments like that, like that Glastonbury moment was. I mean, truly, like otherworldly, out of body experience. Like a in few, hindsight, yeah. like I mean, that, how many people were there? One hundred twenty thousand. One hundred twenty. I mean, yeah, that's what Steve. It was. It, it and was then, stupid. There was an uh, ocean yeah. of people. A few yeah. weeks ago, I googled that, and it's on the performance is on YouTube, oh, wow. and you can. It's a joke. You. It's like, just <laughs> dumb. You can't. I mean, see we the and, end and of the people and the how. Uh, uh, how loose it was for us. I mean, so, so loose. I mean, we meaning which you didn't really rehearse before. No, no, just, like we, I mean, we were we were on in ears back then. We, we've only just been on like, in ears for like well. There's five, a moment yeah. where our old guitar player Johnny. I, I mean, you know, we, 
this is a time where you're always playing vintage gear and, and stuff is always breaking. But when you're suddenly uh, in front of 120,000 people, his amp broke. And, oh I, and I remember being like, um, I don't think he had a backup amp. And uh, and I remember looking at him, you know, and being like, you know, what do we do? Do we, you know, do we do you get a new amp or do you want to wait? And then him being like, I don't know, I don't know. And uh, and just being like, and panic Fuck. sets in when you're in front yeah, of that panic. many people. Absolute panic Absolute for panic, me. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't make, you can't chit yeah. chat. You like the banter <laughs> right. for 120. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, and um, and this is all still pretty new for us. So, I I mean, so at after so whatever happened, I I don't even remember whether they sw- swapped the amp or um, but the tension and the angst and and walking off stage and like I blew up at him and we kind of got in this big fight about like motherfucker you need to tell me you need to know what's we can't you know we i can't just sit there like an idiot and wait but like there's nothing we could have done different it was just those moments where it's just they're so i I mean it's terrifying probably make your best (laughs) show by the way because it probably was i mean it was great it was really (laughs) fun it was very like very insane energy but um but also like yeah, that, there's nothing that could prepare you for that. I think another one that that makes me think like very milestone was we didn't know that we were going, I think it was 2006. Uh, we didn't know within like 24 hours or whatever we, that we were going to go to the South by Southwest. Mm. And we I think we went to South by Southwest with like a day notice. We drove out there, played six or seven shows in two days. Every single show was like an unofficial, it was like a, party yeah that wasn't part of the that's what it festival. kind of is right yeah yeah and i, I remember what we, when we left we had gotten so many things like sorted yeah like a manager the, or a label is, or, yeah. yeah like all the the, the lawyer stuff the yeah. label stuff the booking agent stuff everything was like it's like we put our pants on and right. you know, like we're like okay and we're, and we're doing this yeah and, and that, we were and we have a lot of this kind of most of the same team now. yeah amazing and, and it was so fun to have played seven shows that were unofficial that were slammed out and just so fun. Amazing. That that, that that's like in the in the top five for me. That's funny because I don't know if you guys know. I played drums with Courtney Love, and we were not really a jam band. But one time, I got up to play with her, and we like hopped on someone else's equipment, and the guy had on in ears, and and I didn't know that he had on in ears, and, and the monitors weren't on, and we <laughs> yeah. start playing, and I'm like, I can't hear anything. What's going on? <laughs> so I'm like, oh fuck, this guy must have been wearing like in ears. I'm like, nobody told me, and the guy didn't like tell me. So I literally played like half a song, and I'm like, I I can't hear. This is not. I yeah. can't hear. I don't even yeah, know what's going yeah, on. Yeah. Wow. So those horror stories, like That's you know, insane. there's so many of those stories that you have when you do those things but I'm sure like when you're playing in front of a hundred thousand people like that panic probably sets in when something breaks right I don't even know what you would yeah. do but but again those probably make for the best shows ever so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so fast forward now I want to talk about the new record I want to talk about the new single The Complainer so this album in particular you just actually remixed this song I think a bunch of people like the guy from The Horrors remixed the song and yeah. somebody from Foster the People and talk to me about the remixes and, and I've, I think the, the Complainer has a bit more of a I dare say a funky groove to it, but it's a great song. Um, I love it. I saw you guys perform on, I don't know if it was uh, Camel or Colbert or something. Uh, we Yeah, we did Colbert. Colbert we did, right, uh, yeah. Ellen, same uh, song. It was yeah. great. Um, but talk to me about the remixes and, and sort of where this album is at. This is your second single now for the record? Uh, this is, Complainer is the first single, first single. from this one. Um, yeah, what's going on? Uh, it, it, we did a couple TV performances for it. We we wanted to do uh, remixes with kind of people that um, 
that uh, you know, it's funny. Like we we've done remixes for stuff in the past where you know somebody uh, connected to somebody that does remixes through the label, like a more vague sort of thing. And it's and and, and it's like the kind of thing where you're like, yeah, okay, this serves its purpose. It goes on a playlist, and you know, and more people hear it who don't listen to alternative, whatever. It's more of like a a sort of a good thing to do, and not necessarily something that I would you know, listen to. Um, and so it kind of like, you know, this time around, it's like, man, there's so many people that we know that are insane, you know, producers that can, uh, that we just need to reach out and we need to do these things ourselves. And, um, and so, yeah. Um, the remixes. A bunch of great remixes that awesome. we got for Complainer that are more, yeah, like kind of more dancey, but more like just cool. Really yeah. cool, really cool. Rem- the, uh, Isom did one that's kind of more like, Cowbell, 70s, like, um, I don't know. Uh, Who from the Horrors remixed it? Tom. Okay. Um, yeah. and uh, Cool he, band, right? We they love, never, yeah. yeah, we love them. Yeah. Moss is always like, I think um, <laughs> it's like one of those bands that a lot of, uh, I was talking to somebody else about it, and I'm like, whoa, I hadn't heard about that band forever, and I'm like, man, they've been actually yeah. putting a great records out every couple of years. Yeah, I love yeah. that band, yeah. Um, but yeah, he was great. He did one mix that was kind of like, pretty straight and i i kind of did a deep dive on on uh they have a a ton of remixes of their own music that they put out and they have like a little circle of like british producers and they it kind of that goes back to like primal scream like they they're like very spot on with their influences have kind of like made a i don't know full circle on a lot of the people that they work with that they're influenced more like 90s UK artist, but um, so yeah, so he uh, and I was kind of was like I, you know, go back and like go crazy because yeah. I know that's more what you want to do, and and he was like, oh my god, I I wanted to, but I wanted to do, I did a more straight one, and so he came back with one that was like more, I don't know, more like like he called it like acid bath remix, <laughs> I think. So um, but do you yeah, have a favorite just, like, one out of cool. the remixes. Um, I like Tom first the most. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that one's rad. I, like, I actually think yeah. I like the Isom one the most. I like, yeah. but I, they're all like, it's like it's kind of it, it, you know we when as a band you do so many things and you can't do them all perfectly when you're juggling so much. But when you get to like as time goes on, be like, oh, we can sort of curate our own. You know, even these remixes have a have it be curated, have it show many sides of of our you know ourselves. And like, Samia is a like young artist. She opened a bunch of shows for us on tour, and like, uh, like it, that one is almost less of a remix, more like she re-recorded. Like Lars had a did a recording of like a nylon string guitar, and she's saying this thing into her phone that's like almost more. Leonard Cohen really morose awesome. quiet uh version that she did so it's like yeah having having a range that actually like reflects our taste more in doing it within a remix kind of EP it's like I listened what, to the not? stems. The stems were online. You kind of played a demo on one of these uh, podcasts you did, and I oh, listened yeah, to yeah. sort of it was Electric Guest and how yeah, you got how yeah, the song yeah. came about. 
it was super interesting listening to the progression of the song mm. and how it started up until now and yeah. just hearing the initial drum beats and, and you on bass. Were you on bass initially? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just hearing the way the song progresses, really cool. Such a great track. So talk to me about 2020 and just kind of my last question, guys. How has life changed you in the last 15 years, right? Like to where you're at now, to where you began and like touring every, you know, all the time and you have three records coming out now. So, you know, how has it changed for you as a band? I know it's a loaded question, but it's, but it's a great question because yeah, ultimately, totally. I think no, life has question. to be different it's now, well, right? Absolutely, I think, yeah. I think, yeah, my, I, I feel like me and him, really original guys in this band. Yeah, and I feel like because you've changed members a few yeah. times, yeah. right? I, f- I feel like your life's probably changed so many because he's kids and stuff. <laughs> I, I don't feel any different, really. Like I know I'm, I know that I probably am very different than 15 years ago. Yeah, but I don't feel that different you feel everything's the same and uh, that scares me sometimes yeah Yeah. but it's also comforting but it also scares me but i think um we're very extreme different type guys in this band but Mm. it also makes sense that why our band's a mystery i think yeah yeah are there things that you haven't tackled yet that you still want to do are there is there like a a genre is there a sort of something that you feel like i'm really i'm really excited about this next record because i know that like i've like I keep playing Happy Mondays all the time lately, and like backstage, yeah. I keep playing this stuff. And I know that like Sean was hearing some of that, and and he like, one day we went into the studio and listened to some stuff that we had done the day before, and it had that kind of spice to it. And I was like, yes, awesome. I, was, I was very excited about that. So Britpop is a big influence. I, I love that stuff, yeah. but, but I don't think that we've tackled that kind of style very yeah, very true. much. And so like that that Happy Monday is kind of like dance stuff 80s pill I, lo- I love public image limited yeah. and happy mondays all that stuff we well the complainer has a bit of that sort of yeah. groove yeah it know, does so definitely and i think the next one even has probably some more of that yeah like that kind of like like uh, yeah like the horrors new record has that and i, I love that kind of whatever you call that it's kind of kind of baggy kind of yeah dancey yeah. kind of yeah. acid rock i guess yeah so 2020, you got the two albums coming out. There's a tour too, right? You guys are touring. You're yeah. playing everywhere. You're playing like Novo in LA. You're playing Webster Hall a couple of gigs, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, talk me through the next year for you. What's it like, 2020? Uh, a lot of touring at the start. Well, we're going to sort of finish, mix, uh, record with Sean the first couple weeks of January, then go on tour and come back and probably at that time have a whole lot of other tour plans that we don't know of yet. Right. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, we... So the tour starts when? January? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And it goes of, until when? Uh, mid-February. Yeah. yeah. So Europe or just America at this point? This is all just America. Yeah. Cool. We, we've sort of like, we haven't done UK Europe for a while. Um, and we, we've been, for the most part, every couple of years, Australia also, and we're due for that. Um, Are there markets sometimes that you go to, like, I didn't know they were huge in Bali or something. They're like certain uh, markets. Sometimes bands tell me, you know, like, we just played in, I don't know, the Philippines and we're huge there. And I'm like, right. how did you know uh, that? That's rad. We, yeah. haven't, we, um, haven't ha- we haven't had that yet. I'd like to go back to Europe. We used to spend almost the same amount of time in Europe than we did the States back the first five years. Yeah, I could see Europe yeah. really taking what you guys do for sure. So um, at Cold War Kids, follow the Instagram, right? Any other, and check out the tour coming up January. I want to jump to the Complainer, an amazing new track. Hey guys, this was a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. I really Thank appreciate it. Thank you so it. much for having us. Check yeah. out all the remixes. Yeah, go check out records two and three.
Yeah. Do we have what are the names of the just uh, New Age Norms okay. one, two, and three. New Age one, Norms three. one okay. is out now. Two will be out early next year. Um, Buy tickets. Go see the band on tour coming up. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Thanks. I really appreciate you stopping by and check out the new records. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, guys. I hope you had fun today. That was a great, great show. Nathan and Most Cold War Kids. Amazing, amazing show. Thanks for those guys for coming in. We are at the end of the year, which means the end of our season. The show today is brought to you by the fine folks and the good people at Thursday Boot Company, a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. You guys have seen me rock these boots again and again and again. They've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Check out at Thursday's Boots. One of my favorite, favorite shoes in the whole world. And uh, you can see what all the fuss is about. So tune in. Next season's coming up January. We have some great, great guests coming up. If you like the show, tell a friend. Hell, tell 10 friends. And rate, subscribe, review the show. It's all super helpful for us in making the show more and more popular. Coming up for next season, we have guests like Jay Sheedy. We have the Chainsmokers. We have some great, great guests coming up in January for you. So Stay tuned, tune in, tell a friend, and we'll see you next time. Happy holidays and enjoy your New Year's. Happy New Year's, everyone. Hi, this is Dennis Quaid, and I want to tell you about a new show I've produced that I know you're going to love. It's called The Pet Show, and well, it's a show about pets, dogs, cats, snakes, birds, and our relationship with these animals. It's the podcast with a purpose. Listen to The Pet Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a call from an inmate at the Indiana State Prison. My name is Phil Chalmers, and I'm a serial killer profiler. How many murders are you responsible for? 36. 47 and 52. I found Sister's killer. I want to see him face to face. Listen to Where the Bodies Are Buried, a true crime podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Uncle Drank, star of The Ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.